If you have your Bibles, we, we are starting a new book this morning um, in Daniel. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 1. So um, kind of in the same general area we've been, we've been hanging out in the last several weeks, but Daniel chapter 1, Old Testament. It's right before um, kind of the minor prophets. It's one of the last what they consider some of the major prophets. Um, Daniel's um, 12 chapters long. And so we're going to be in Daniel for, for several weeks now. And, and Daniel, to me, is a, it's a very interesting book um, for, for several reasons. And, and I kind of sent an email out this week. And as we go through this journey of the book of Daniel, we're going to see, as we, as we look at the life of Daniel, we're going to see Daniel as this um, man that can kind of be characterized by three things. And the first one, and we're going to see the beginning of that this morning, is that Daniel is a man of purpose. Um, one of the most familiar stories in this book is Daniel and the lion's den. And, and as we look at that story later on, we see that, that Daniel, and it wasn't just this story, we see it all throughout the book, that Daniel was also a man of prayer. And so he's a man of purpose, a man of prayer, and then he's a man of prophecy. And a lot of the last portion of the, of the book of Daniel um, is prophecy, and Daniel is interpreting dreams and, and things. And so, so we're going to look at that, we're going to see that, and as I mentioned before, I, I am one of those guys that can get a little uncomfortable when we start talking prophecy. And thankfully, that's towards the end of the book, so I have some time to gear myself up for that. But it's also important, though, um, because I, I do think that, that there can be a tendency to shy away from prophecy in the Bible. And my belief is this. If it's in the Bible, it's fair game. We ought to talk about it. And, and the reality is this. About 25% of the Bible is prophecy. And so, um, so if that much of the Bible is dedicated towards prophecy, we need to at least look at it. And so, so we will in, in the book of, of Daniel. To give us some, some backdrop to Daniel, Daniel um, is, is exiled. He's taken from his home country, and this occurs about 605 B.C. Okay, 605 B.C. It was interesting as, as I was looking at what was kind of going on during um, this time frame uh, of this of this book, we see um, historically we know that construction of the Acropolis in Athens be was beginning, and we also know that during the same time of Daniel, the Mayan civilization flourished in Mexico. Um, some of our popular quotes, like those from Confucius and Buddha, those two gentlemen were living during the time of Daniel, and so we have some historical backdrop. This also happens to be the same general time frame that the Greeks introduced the Romans to the olive tree, for those who are curious about olive trees. Daniel starts off, in fact, the very beginning of the book of Daniel, we see prophecy um, being fulfilled. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to go ahead and read the first eight verses this morning, and then we're going to try and dive into it. So here we go. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, use without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. 
The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to, be, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, uh, this morning I pray that you, in the next few moments, I pray that you provide um, a sense of clarity for us as we dive into an amazing book. Lord, I pray that, that you, again, begin to soften our eyes or soften our hearts, open our eyes and our ears and our minds. Lord, I pray that you allow me to, to be your mouthpiece. I pray that, that what is said and done this morning brings honor and glory to you. Um, Lord, I pray that you do convict us this morning. I pray that you work on our, our lives. I pray that you reveal things to us that, that maybe we need to change. Uh, Lord, I pray that this morning as we leave, that we leave with purpose in our life. Uh, the same type of purpose that, that Daniel demonstrated here in these first few verses. And that same purpose that we're going to see him live throughout his life so we know it wasn't just a fluke. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all the things that you've done. In your son's beautiful, precious, and holy name we pray. Amen. The very beginning of, of this book, we see that um, Babylon um, conquers Israel. And as I said, the first three verses there, we, it, it lays this idea that King Jehoiakim, who's king over Judah, Nebuchadnezzar's over Babylon, he goes in, Nebuchadnezzar goes in, takes over Judah, and then they take people back. Um, that, that right there is fulfillment of prophecy. If you were to go back in your Bibles to Isaiah, uh, the book of Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 37, there's this story of King Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was sick, and he was praying that God would, would heal him. And, and God does heal him. But afterwards, these Babylonian emissaries come and visit him, and, and they bring these good tidings to him, and congratulations, we hear you're well, everything's great. And, and Hezekiah begins to just show him everything in the kingdom, and to the point where he takes these, these emissaries and takes them down to the temple, and they show them all the religious relics and treasures that they have. Uh, when word gets back to Isaiah, Isaiah flips out, and he goes back to um, King Hezekiah, and he's like, what, what, what happened here? Who, who came? Who did you just meet with? And he tells me these Babylonian groups, they, they, these guys came, you know, tell me everything's great. They're, they're so glad I'm well. And, and then Isaiah goes, what did you do? What, what, what did you tell them? What, what did you do? What did you show them? And he said, well, I, just, I took them to the temple and I showed them all of our religious relics, all of our treasures. And at that point, um, Isaiah declares to Hezekiah that, that they will come a group will come one day and they will conquer our land, they will take our treasures, and they will take the children of the noble. That occurred about 105 years prior to this occasion. So Nebuchadnezzar comes down, and if you guys remember going back to our study in Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk, this, 
this prophet is wrestling with God because he does not understand why in the world will this barbaric, evil group, the Babylonians, come and why will they conquer us, God, your chosen people? Why why are you going to allow this to happen? It makes no sense. We're supposed to be the good people. And I I know that we're messed up. I I know that we're not living the way we should be living. I know we're not doing these things that we should be doing. And we see this played out now in the book of Daniel, the very beginning where, where the, the Babylonians come in. And I found this statement fascinating. Warren Wearsby, um, one of my favorite commentators, made this statement. He said this, God would rather have his people living in shameful captivity in a pagan land than living like pagans in the holy land in disgracing his name. Think about that. God would rather have his people living in shameful captivity in a pagan land than living like pagans in the Holy Land. And that's exactly where we find Daniel. Daniel, um, we see very clearly, very easily in here, um, Daniel and his buddies, are they're the cream of the crop when it came to those in Israel. Um, and, and, and as we think through this, we have to understand Israel's been conquered, Judah's been conquered, um, their people are being the good, the, the top of the class are being dragged off to a foreign land. Um, they went and raided the temple. They took all the treasures from the temple. They're taking them back into these pagan temples. And so as we look, as, as the book of Daniel begins, it looks like God's losing the battle. I mean, it looks like everything's falling in, like God's chosen people are captured, all these holy relics are taken, and now they're becoming relics in this pagan temple. Later on in the book of of Daniel, we'll see that they actually begin to use those, those holy relics in pagan ceremonies. And it looks like everything's crumbling, and that maybe this true God isn't really a true God. And they go and they take these four young men. We don't know exactly how old they are. More than likely, they're somewhere between 13 and 17. But they're young. They're they're taken away from their families. Um, They're taken away from their homes. They're taken away from their neighborhoods. They're dragged to a foreign country, foreign land. Everything's foreign. And as we look at this, we see that, that this practice that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had was they would take these, these upper group that they conquered, these, these young kids that they could take, and they could begin to brainwash them. Like they would teach them their customs. They would teach them their language. They would, they would, they would educate them in their ways. They would, they would change their style of food. And then they would place these individuals um, within their administration. And we see this as, as Daniel and his four buddies get there and they begin to be trained in this new education. They're given new names. Um, I, I, again, I, I love this idea. To understand, and the Bible doesn't give us this in the verses, but so we understand the meanings of these names because I think it's so amazing. Daniel, right, we see his, his, his given name, Daniel, it, it actually means God is my judge. A good, godly name. And, and again, like today, when we, when we name our kids, um, sometimes there's meaning behind it, isn't there? Like, like some, 
for us, we have um, the practice that we had, being we're past the baby having age, um, was we would, we would um, designate a middle name to be named after somebody within the family, so it had some kind of special meaning. The first name, I don't, we just drew straws, I guess. I don't really know what we did. But the middle name had a special meaning behind it. And, and today in our kind of our culture, um, we just typically find names that we like, unless you're a movie star, and then you name them like Apple or something ridiculous, right? Northwest? Northwest? <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. But they, they have ridiculous names, right? But back in the Bible days, like, the name was special. There was meaning behind these names. And so we have Daniel. His name means God is my judge. And he's given this new name, Belshazzar, which means Bel's prince. And, and Bel, or Baal, was one of the Babylonian gods. Hananiah, his name meant beloved by the Lord. And this name is changed to Shadrach, which means illumined by the sun god, another one of the Babylonian gods. Mishal meant who is as God, was given the name Meshach, which means who is like Venus. And Azariah, which means the Lord is my help, was given the name Abednego, which meant the servant of Nego or, or Nebo, another one of the Babylonian gods. And so as they begin to give them this new culture, as they begin to try and ingrain them with a new education, as they begin to teach them a new language, they also begin to strip away their heritage and their name and try and give them a new name. And I love the response of Daniel. Daniel chapter 8. Um, I, I preach from the ESV Bible, and it says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Um, I grew up reading the King James, and a lot of the, the scripture I've memorized comes from the King James. And the King James, although it is um, sometimes more difficult to read, the language is kind of lofty, it's very poetic. And I love, I love the way the King James, New King James writes Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile God. If you have your Bibles, whether it says like the ESV or it says Daniel resolved or if it says maybe you have the King James, New King James, it says, but Daniel purposed in his heart. I would encourage you to underline it, circle it, Highlight it, whatever. Because think through this. Daniel, 13, 14, 15 years old, taken away from his home, taken away from his country. He's, he's in a foreign land, and it's not like he just moved there by choice. He was dragged there. He's captured. Whatever they tell him to do, he has to do. And he's okay with the new name. He's okay with being taught this new education. But there's this hang-up that he has when it comes to the food. They wanted to give him these boys that they're training. They wanted to give them the king's food. 
there were several reasons why there was a problem that Daniel had with this. One, um, it was against the law of Moses, the, the, the types of food that they were eating. Second, not only was it against this law of Moses, but more importantly, this same food that was eaten by the king was also presented to these false idols. These other gods. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. It would have been easy for Daniel and his buddies, right? Like, because mom and dad wouldn't know. I mean, later on as we read through this book, we, we see that these four guys typically are going against the grain, even the others that were brought there with them, right? It wasn't just those four guys that were brought from, from Judah. There were several others that went with them that were captured and brought to Babylon, there were several other Jews that had the same beliefs, the same understandings, the same knowledge that Daniel and his buddies had. But they did not purpose in their hearts. They did not give themselves wholly to the Lord. Later on, when we get to one of the more famous stories, we see when, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are in this area, and they're all supposed to bow to this foreign god and worship him. They refused to. The others did. I think Daniel, similar to like what we talked about with Jonah and Habakkuk, is so relative to where we are today. Where there's so much pressure on us to do as those around us. There's so much pressure for us not to look like the oddball, not to maybe stand up for God, to, to be silent about certain things. Most of our, our youth are in a public school system. And at school, you guys face some of the same things that Daniel and his friends faced where you come to church on Sunday and you're taught something. You're taught about how God created the world in seven days. But yet you go to school later on and you have to sit through education that tells you about some big explosion that occurred or something else. Like Those are challenging. You can find yourselves in those same positions that Daniel was in. And it takes courage to stand up. Moms and dads and us adults, while we may not be sitting in the classroom setting anymore, we find ourselves in similar circumstances where maybe it's not a discussion of evolution, but we have a group of people that we're around that, that are trying to get us to do certain things that we know we ought not do, that we, we know that God would not want us to partake in. If you go to your New Testament real quick, the book of Romans... 
Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, real quick. Romans chapter 12, in the first two verses, again, probably pretty familiar to most of us. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and this is Paul writing, and Paul writes this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul paints this picture of us being this living sacrifice for God. And he challenges us in that second verse not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Daniel and his four buddies refused to conform to the world that they had just been thrusted into. And as we go through the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel and his buddies will transform those around them. As I was reading this and, and, and praying over this passage this week, I began to wonder, what, what gave Daniel such resolve? What, what gave Daniel such great purpose? Like, how in the world was he able to do what he does all throughout this book? I, I kind of reached two conclusions. Um, one was this, although his parents aren't mentioned, um, I, I have to believe that, that Daniel was raised by some strong Christian parents. I, I think we see that in the name that he was given. As I mentioned before, that, that his name means God is judge. I, I was reminded of Proverbs 22.6 where it says, train up your children the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. I want to encourage um, parents this morning, parents and grandparents, and maybe future parents, that God's given us these gifts. Um, I'm I'm probably mindful of that more this morning. Mackenzie, our oldest daughter, um, her birthday is today. And, you know, as parents with each birthday our children have. I don't know if it's you or if you're like me, but I feel older with each one. And so Mackenzie turns 10 today. It's our first double-digit birthday. It scares me to death. <laughs> means we're like three years away from teenagers. And <sighs> but parents, if you, again, if you're like me, you have those birthdays, and, and, and they're exciting, but but you have those moments where you stop and you look at your kids and you begin to wonder, like, where's the time going? Like, how do they get this big so fast? And then you start to think, like, okay, in these 
first 10 years that I had with Mackenzie, what, what, have, I, what have I done to help her? What, how have I done as a father for her? Am I training her up in the Lord? I mean, I, I take Proverbs 22.6 as a promise. Like That's Solomon who writes Proverbs. If you remember, Solomon's dad was who? David. David, the man after God's own heart, right? We, amazing character in the Bible. David, although not perfect, trained his children up in the Lord. And I take it as a promise from God that if we train them in God, they will, although they may wander, they may take a few wrong turns. I believe that if we train them up in the Lord, they'll eventually get back to the right path. I think one of the most important jobs that we have is to train the children that God blesses us with. And we can get so busy with things as my kids are getting older, I begin to see more and more how um, we can fill a calendar quickly. And these things, although good, although they can be fun, they can be entertaining, they can be things that kids can grow up through, they can learn lifelong lessons. But even for myself, my prayer for my children and my role as a dad is at the end of the day, when I'm done being a parent, when I, when I take my last breath here on earth, I hope and pray I leave a legacy for my children on how to follow Jesus Christ. I, I don't care how large of a will I leave behind. I don't care how many talents I help develop. I don't really even care where they achieve vocationally. I just want my children to love the Lord. I believe that Daniel had godly parents who instilled these values into him and the friends that as they went into this foreign area, as they were taken away, as they were pulled away from the family, as they were pulled away from their culture, their country, from everything, and all these other changes were thrusted at them, they had been given such a great foundation by their parents that they were able to stand up and endure it. Parents, I think we can learn a great lesson from Daniel. Although his parents are not mentioned in Scripture, we do know that, that Daniel was born uh, during the reign of Josiah. Josiah was a king. During Josiah's reign, this great revival took place in Israel. Josiah is the same one. He's, he's the, the, the king that becomes, he becomes king when he's 12 years old. And as they're going and they're cleaning out the temple, they come across these scrolls and they discover the Word of God. And revival breaks out. That's the same time period that, that Daniel is born. And so I, I believe that, that his godly parents 
created a tremendous foundation. And so not only does he have these, this godly heritage from his parents, but I believe verse 8 shows that heritage played out. That Daniel gave himself wholly to God. Like Daniel held nothing back, nothing, gave all of it to the Lord. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. I wonder this morning what we've given our hearts to. Have we fully given our lives to God? In Ephesians chapter 6, let me read this real fast. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6 says this Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond service of Christ, doing the will of God. From the heart. Have we given our hearts to God? Have we given God everything? Are we holding something back? Um, for us, is our faith journey just Sunday mornings? Is it just maybe a Wednesday night? Or is, it, is it just within a small group context? Is it just when it's convenient? Or have we got to the place in our lives where we said to God, it's all yours. Every ounce of it everything within it. It's all yours. I'm holding nothing back. It's yours, God. As we read throughout most of the Old Testament, we see that most of the children of God, most of the Christians of that time had not given their lives completely to God. They, they held things back. There was always, though, this faithful remnant, this small group that would stay faithful to the end, that gave themselves wholly to him. Here we see this with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see how these guys gave themselves wholly to him. They were the faithful remnant. You fast forward into the book of Revelation, 
where, where there's these letters written to these seven churches. And at each point in that letter, there's these words of affirmation to the overcomers, to the faithful remnant. Like today, I believe we have churches that are filled with people who profess to believe in God. But don't truly believe in Him. It's hard when, even in our own city, there's a massive amount of churches, and I'm not judging any of the churches. I, I, I know like five pastors in town. I, I, I'm not trying to judge any of the churches. I'm not judging theology. I'm not judging practices. I'm not telling you what church is good, what church is bad. That's for God to judge, not for me. But we have, I believe, thousands of people in our own backyards who treat faith like a game. Who are willing to play it when it's convenient. Um, Who are willing to play it when maybe those around them share those beliefs, those thoughts. I've shared with you before. One of the passages in Scripture that haunts me is in Matthew when it records when Jesus, when someone comes before Jesus and he tells them all these things that he did, like he prophesied, he, he's done all these things in the name of Jesus, and Jesus says to him, depart from me. I never knew you. So we can confuse today like good works. We can confuse being nice. We can confuse maybe um, how much we put in an offering plate. We can confuse service. We can confuse um, even reading our Bibles or or whatever, we can confuse even church attendance with being a follower of God. We We can confuse these things. When for many, it's just a Band-Aid. It's it's something that's done to make them feel better. It's it's something that's done uh, made with this mindset that, okay, God, if I do good by you, then you'll do good by me. I wonder in my own life have I purposed in my heart to truly give God everything 
not hold something back, not put something off to the side, not try and sneak something away from him. But am I gotten to the point in my life where I'm willing to say, okay, God, it's all yours. All the chips are on the table. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. See, for some of us, we get to this point where we're trying to figure out God's will in our lives. What's, what's his will? You know, it becomes this big, like, cloud that we, we struggle to find. And then when it comes to making these decisions, we, we, we try and create this balance sheet. We put all the pros and all the cons, and everything is decided based off of what sounds best for me, what, what looks like the best situation. And if we go through the scriptures, we see that typically God takes these balance sheets, rips them up, tosses them to the side. I mean, think about it. We talked about it with Jonah, right? Jonah, God calls Jonah this poor um, country prophet to go to big city Nineveh and tell them, this barbaric group, to tell them about him. And, and, and then God was going to use this country boy to create a revival of hundreds of thousands of people, the biggest revival in human history. Like, if you're going to go pros and cons, okay, let's see here, God. Um, I'm country. I got a country accent. Um, I got overalls, and um, don't make a whole lot of money, probably. Um, from a little town, believes in God, and you're calling me to go to big city, to all the hustle and bustle, where they have a foreign God, they're extremely violent. Balance sheet's probably not going to work out for Jonah to go, is it? Daniel, in this circumstance, ripped away from his family. He's young, a teenager. It would have been so easy for him just to go along with the flow and do what everybody else was doing and just accept his fate, accept where God put him, accept becoming a Babylonian and just live life like the rest of the crew. That would have been the easy thing for him to do. But he didn't. Daniel gave his life wholly to God. This morning, I want to ask you the same question I've asked myself. What have I purposed my heart towards? What has grabbed my total attention? What have I resolved? to do I hope and I pray as we go through this book of Daniel that we can see how if we become people of purpose and we allow the purpose to be driven through prayer like Daniel did that God will bless us and God will use us and God will use us in ways that we would have never imagined God will not use us in those ways 
until we decide the purpose in our hearts to give him everything and then seek him for everything. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning, Lord, and I thank you for the opportunity to come to church. And Lord, as we go through this study of Daniel, Lord, I pray that you help us to take a hold of those same characteristics that he had. That we choose the purpose in our hearts not to defile you. God, we'll never be perfect, but we choose like today. Today is the day. God, I'm giving it to you. We trust the idea and understand that you are sovereign, that you are greater, you are, are mightier than we are. Lord, I, I love that statement that you would rather your people live in shameful captivity in pagan lands than to live like pagans in the Holy Land. This morning, Lord, there may be some that are kind of at that crossroads that they've, they believe in you. They believe that you're God's son. They believe that you died on the cross. They believe that you came back to life. They believe everything about you, but, but they've held back from fully giving themselves to you. And as a result, have, have wandered into this place in life where they're not transforming, but they're conforming to this world. Lord, I pray you grab our attention. Help us to become people of purpose and people of prayer. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.